0: Hi Kirti, welcome to the second episode of Guilted at the End of the World. Thank you so much for sticking through and uh, taking forward this conversation. Some very interesting and beautiful things actually happened in the last couple of weeks as I was thinking of the, you know, various questions that you asked us, does guilt move us? we making from a space of guilt or uh, is guilt holding us back and uh, I had a therapy session um, in the last uh, two weeks and you know it's a beautiful thing no once you start talking about one thing you and you keep ending up in conversations that keep unraveling that particular aspect we're talking about my relationship with guilt My therapist put it in a very interesting way for me she said you your guilt is like the most topmost layer of how you relate with the world and what you have beneath that the guilt is basically like uh, mm, forming that icing on the cake that's not allowing you to eat you know that beautiful chocolate beneath there which might give you more answers And the three layers of my cake that she said was guilt and below that is this great defense of anger and much below that is the pain so we've talked about uh, you know how culturally the women here are subconsciously trained to be you know in many ways codependent right and uh, in the sense something happens to me i will still try to figure out if it is me who has to put in the work or uh, do something to change to help another person now of course this also puts us in a space of resentment if we're not doing that in and from an aware space right and uh, therefore you are not able to change or you are having difficulty changing or uh, any of that or you've changed and you don't like the fact that you've changed forms the guilt because what has happened is not you have not had the space to properly voice the anger because the minute a woman raises her voice the woman a minute the woman makes a you know a remark it becomes uh, you're overreacting or uh, you're making you know you're putting drama and stuff like that Okay, or uh, you're being arrogant, bitchy, and various words. You're not being patient enough. And somehow our gender is expected to be far more patient in uh, dealing with a lot of things. And then below that, below this anger, which we anyway are not allowed to voice out in many places, and then it bursts out in places where we're not able to process it for ourselves. Is the pain which we're not actually dealing with okay we're kind of pushing it into pushing it lower and lower and lower into a space that shows up on our bodies and our way of life and uh, etc this is a, this was a very beautiful way she put it for me and I ended up uh, visualizing it as a painting for myself which probably I'll share with our listeners also but you've seen this and many people think the fire so i drew this as a a woman with a blue neck and many people uh, ask me if that was had any religious this thing but it, it's what is more like the knot in the throat um yes it also has that you know the the vesham that uh, the poison that shiva drinks is caught in his throat below that i drew a fire in the chest and many people thought okay this is a woman with courage but that was basically anger and uh, the rage that was caught and much below that was the holes in the body of the woman which was you know all the pain the holes and the bleeding and things like that so it actually helped me to not talk about it or write about it and this time paint about it so coming to this idea of making right for me i think it was uh, does guilt make me make or pain make me make or happy make me make? I just make. As far as I've understood myself, I just make. It's, it's something, the making is my process to understand for myself. So whether that is writing a piece of paper or painting somewhere or working with five, six people on a particular, you know, uh, aspect or topic of life, asking those questions together, creating a play, a film, etc., So I actually don't think the guilt has held me back in this process but what it has held me back from is actually these very interpersonal relationships of not being able to you know clearly say no this is enough for me this is not what I accept and or to say it in a way that it can be taken or um, or find my exit route in a way that it's a safe for me and of course we know that you know society is made in such a way that it's not easy to do this right why do women stay in uh, relationships that do not take care of them let's not even go far as far as abuse and things like that that do not take care of them for as long as they do you know completely resenting it and yet loving the people they resent do men also do this i think so some men do this um, but i think more culturally this whole idea of the mother who sacrifices everything for the family uh, the the popular adage in uh, tamil which uh, goes like you know nalam purushan alam purushan kind of a thing where whatever the man is made of the he is still the your life partner so you go beyond you know your ability to actually you know care for someone else because you are also over time giving up caring for yourself so yes again the second episode is going to be as free willing as the first because I think there's a certain you know flavor to going about a conversation like this now the second most interesting and beautiful thing that happened was So I have this habit of uh, speaking to the sky and the sea. there's so much noise in my head and there's not always that can you know go to another person or even a book you know when i'm writing it there's there's so many things i can't even put in words as of yet so for me to stare up at the sky or you know look into the sea and then just say listen to me in my silence is something these two entities have really helped me clear or you know breathe in many ways and sometimes when i scream up at the sky and uh, coincidentally or beautifully that day it also rains i always uh, i would ask to the sky as a child i used to do this there's so much pain in the world i can just see i can just see around me so many people have you know in pain wash out the pain and i would ask the sky to just you know wash out just a little bit of that pain why don't you wash it out but strangely, I have never stood in the rain and say, "Wash out my pain." And three days back, when it rained and my daughter wanted to play in the rain for ten minutes, the first time in my life, I just stood in the rain, and I actually felt like I things were being washed off, and like much, much like my painting, it was like those colors which is running from me. Now for 10 minutes I was just standing there you know playing with her very much present also but this feeling was just there in my body where things were getting washed and I just started feeling a little bit lighter and yeah thanks to the rain.
1: Listening to you share that Sam it felt like a warm blanket um a certain kind of respectful and comfortable warmth truly um, that your therapist has broken this down with so much gentleness and so much compassion and talking about the layers I mean and truly is if you think about guilt like a banyan tree it's um, feels like the roots have roots and under all of those roots perhaps what those roots are gripping very firmly like your therapist ever, so beautifully put it is all of that pain so it's it's a very powerful image it's left me with so much to think about and also perhaps give me a map if you will uh, to unravel each of those layers because sometimes I mean personally I don't know if this is necessarily true of everyone but when I begin to unravel the layers I really don't know where one layer has been unraveled and where the next one has begun Uh, because it's sometimes that complex and that heavily woven in right and when you think about guilt where does guilt start and end and transition into anger and transition into pain perhaps into hate and fear and all of those different manipulations in which um, our conditioning is sort of retained and firmed in its place I really love that you shared this because uh, number one it's a powerful affirmation of a very very true reality that strikes at the root of our conditioning and of where we are brought to uh, when our guilt is activated and operationalized against us in the everyday uh, in a special conversation in an especially important conversation. So I, I don't really see this as a, um, as a formula I would call it for want of a better way of putting it an evolving roadmap really and, and it, it really feels like that. But the other thing that you shared is what really stays with me even now. These conversations with the sky and I was stunned honestly when you said that. My hair was on its end when you said that because this is very much me when I'm by myself. I have enormous conversations with the sky. I have enormous conversations with the sky and I say enormous because it feels like I'm speaking to an enormous presence. And one of the foremost things that has always made me wonder is, how much has the sky seen? And how much has the sky consumed? How much has the sky processed and been forced to process? whether that is human action, whether that is predatory behavior among animals, whatever it is, how much cruelty, how much anger, how much wrath, how much pain the sky has been a witness to. And when you think of all of that, do you wonder then, does the sky feel any guilt for its silence, for its unquestioning observation? for being a memory keeper but not transmitting those memories actively to anyone or maybe is it is it transmitting that memory in ourselves in the form of intergenerational guilt um, are we carrying a guilt that goes beyond what we have processed in our everyday like are we carrying a guilt from our great grandmothers uh, are we continuing to build more guilt that we'll give to our great granddaughters and and is all of this somehow rooted with a trauma and is the sky then, a powerful memory keeper. Uh, I find myself grappling with these questions very often and yet that's, there's a certain heavy calmness that comes in, heavy in a positive sense, if you will. I don't think that word has ever been used in a positive sense in so many different ways, apart from perhaps capitalists who see it as a way to acknowledge the weight of their pockets or the gold they get. But I mean, I feel like the reclamation of the word comes in there when you look at the sense of calm that descends in knowing that this sky has watched it all and probably has some kind of an answer there, this also reminds me of a really, really powerful um, story, which goes back to the drawing, the painting that you made. And I know I kind of skipped ahead and went to the sky before I came here. Um, when we process feelings and we process emotions, uh, nine out of ten times there's there is some kind of an outlet and the 10th time there's complete silence which is when you have a freeze. So that outlet can be self-directed, that is storing within the body is also an outlet or can be directed externally to the world beyond us. Now, the idea of a blue throat is fundamentally, um, and this I don't know the juries out there, I don't know if it's necessarily true because it was, came up in a conversation with a friend and uh, she had this really powerful story to share when you say that you're feeling blue you basically feel something you can't articulate and there are different ways of working this right whether that's color therapy or crystal therapy or uh, the chakra system or whatever it may be the color that's associated with the throat is blue Um, usually the color of expression and when the blue is dark or perhaps a bit of a dirty blue it means that you've just had a block you can't express yourself and when it's a vibrant blue you're sort of getting out there and articulating yourself in the truest sense of the term so religion or not i think certain symbols have remained enduring with us and that i think ties into the idea of the sky because our our conception of the sky whether we may choose for it to be so or not is that it is largely a blue dome around us Uh, Because the jury is out there on whether the sky exists at all, and if so, what is it? But suffice to say, in our lives, in the form and the construct that it exists, it's a big blue mass. So, what if the throat is a repository of the guilt that uh, we're sharing with the sky, and when we transfer that and we express that to the sky, is the Is the blue getting bluer, somehow?
0: Two different things come to my mind, having listened to this. One is a study which was done in 2006. It was written about quite a lot by this guy called Jules Davidoff, if I'm right, on the Himba tribe in uh, Namibia. And uh, it's part of a large study that's been going on for a long time, called Color Studies, to understand when did humans start seeing colors and what colors did they see first. And there has been a lot of uh, research done to say that, you know, the color blue has not really been written about or spoken about actually much in the ancient cultures. I think Egyptians were the first ones to actually create a blue dye, and uh, even in our, uh, you know, Vedic or whatever cultures of the side, those words actually meant, uh, you know, dark-skinned and things like that. So how did people really describe the sky at that point of time when they did not have a word for it there's that uh, question right do you really see something if you do not have a word for it and so this guy when he did this study he basically presented like I think 11 12 squares to the to some people from the himba tribe with different greens and one blue square and most of them were not able to identify the blue square as a different square So they had several names and descriptions for the color green but they did not have one specifically for blue so this just made me think what if you know tomorrow I feel down and instead of saying I feel blue I tell myself I feel green or I feel yellow, would I even feel that? <laughs> it just makes me think, no? Like, could I just probably trick myself to smile? And I mean, well, I have a migraine now, and actually, it, I feel yellow. <laughs> it makes me smile. <laughs> and uh, the next thing right like the whole thing you talk about is this expanse of the sky over us and i've always been you know on both sides of this like uh, does it see us does it think does can it hear maybe not like we do maybe not even in ways we describe those senses for ourselves But anything that is there, is there. And therefore, I think experiences. How it theorizes the experience for itself depends on its consciousness, its society, right? The sky is society being the atmosphere itself and everything above and below it. The sky, Kithi, like you say, it's, you know, sometimes when I'm really, really, uh, when we go keep going back into the body being the map of this, right? Uh, this is one particular uh, guy I love uh, listening to on drama. I, if I'm right, his name is Marston Kip. And just uh, today he had uh, released a short video about, you know, where does trauma live you know and guilt trauma i think they're very interlinked here and it and he was saying this very interesting thing about you know the whole terminology of mental health by saying you know it's only in your mind in one sense is actually you know the wrong way to look at it because you know tons of our neurotransmitters are in our gut the entire body is constantly interacting with its in you know entire self. At no point is the brain operating by itself, or the heart, or whatever we call. It. No, in even if you go into what you were saying like the chakra studies or whatever, no chakra is always only operating by itself, right? And if you've been through this uh, chakra meditation or cleansing or things, you know that you 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 have that feeling also problems in your root chakra don't get solved if your throat chakra doesn't open up and talk about your needs and you know set your boundaries very simply or even if your root chakra is in, i mean the the root chakra being about uh, security and feeling grounded say it's something about something as material as not having enough uh, money and uh, food and shelter and support if, if the throat chakra and the heart chakra doesn't open up and, you know, say, I need to voice out, whether it is uh, against the injustice in the system or whether it's, uh, you know, for myself to go and say, hey, you know what, I can do this job and to be able to talk clearly in that interview and say whatever, to keep that job. So they're very connected, right? And the entire body, therefore, like you you have said one more than once, therefore is a map for this entire life that we're living and one of the things I love doing when I'm walking and anxiety is hitting me right like sometimes when you're alone in, and you're walking somewhere or your anxiety suddenly hits you uh, or you've just had a very traumatizing day I like to imagine as if my body is the sky and the sea like almost like I'm wearing a cloak of the sea on a body that's made of the clouds and the sky and just that visualization gives me that moment of lightness to look for a solution within the pain solution within the guilt and all of that now that does not mean i i do not react immediately to it or do not have my moments of spiraling down but Somehow these two entities allow my breath to and my body to just like float for a few milliseconds once in a while. Yeah, there is a richness of blue in my visualization of it and the color I am, you know, I have been taught that uh, in, in my two languages, Neelam and Blue are the, are the words for this. But even guilt, if we start calling it some other word, right? Would we even see it if we didn't have a word for it?
1: That was a really beautiful share, Sam. And it left me with a lot to think about, particularly about the idea of our conditioning, which is, are we feeling what we are feeling? Or are we conditioned to think that we are feeling what we are feeling because of the vocabulary we have and the vocabulary we are Expected to interpret collectively and maybe follow collectively which is a very interesting thought i completely agree with the fact that the body serves as a really powerful index um you know in fact i would probably go so far as to say that this global pandemic as it is operating right now and just looking at the collective symptoms that are manifesting right the coughing the breathlessness the weakness the fatigue I would say that the egregious feeling of structure and there's so many so many instances around us that can serve as evidence of structure feeling um, that have brought us to this point as a collective as a people as a community and which then for me actually translates to uh, so many different ways in which guilt plays out in a context like this um am i am i am I right to be in the place that I am am I allowed to have this place within my heart and soul and body and mind Um, are my challenges valid challenges and if I'm looking at an answer for that question am I allowed to measure my challenges against another person's challenges and then that sets off a whole different circle of guilt for me personally because it becomes a case of instrumentalization is another person suffering a yardstick and have i reduced it to a yardstick for myself to determine whether i should perform anything that is causing me trauma or if i should um, quell that trauma because there are more pressing things that are waiting to 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 have attention it's it's a lot of different ways to look at one reality but Um, I will also say this these are questions that come in hindsight right when we have the space to reflect when we have the um, reason and the means to reflect with Uh, but very 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 often that um, that is never the feeling that we have when we are going through what we are going through Um, when the trauma hits you in the face when the challenge bends you double or bends you backwards or when it Arrive stomping on your head, you are given to reacting, right? You are um, trying to find ways to make sense of what's happening, number one. And you're also trying to frame the kindest way in which you can respond to yourself and then to the other because. Uh, in the course of pursuing kindness to the self you could be not kind to the other and in the course of finding kindness to the other you can also be dealing with these conflicting feelings in your mind about why you need to be doing emotional labor at all to be kind to another person who didn't think twice to harm you. So back to one of the larger questions that we've been dealing with really and I think in more ways than one that one question has been um, sort of a re um a zone of revisitation i think or like you know a little humming bird inside my brain if you will right like i don't even want i don't want to call it a your worm it's not a worm it's a beautiful rhythmic humming inside my brain that this has caused which is how much of what we truly do in the world in the lives we lead in the positions we occupy in every situation that we are part of is really us, and how much of it is this generational guilt, this generational um, fight or flight or flee mode that we are in, um, and where do we identify where one begins and where one ends? I will give you an example over here. Uh, I find myself in situations where. People that I really really care for um, have expectations of me and I do my best to make those expectations um, um, real and I do my best to meet those expectations and in many instances several several instances it has come at a great personal cost but um, I want to understand if I'm operating in those situations out of being in autopilot right like for instance a family member or a person in a position of power or um, a friend who has perhaps not been around in an everyday sense who I would never reach out to but is busy Um, expecting me to be there for them when they would never be there for me and yet in those situations how do I draw a line like how do I identify whether I'm acting as me and I'm being unconditional or that I'm acting as my guilt which is also somehow me to the point that the real me is no longer there and that terrifies me some in some instances because It makes me wonder if I'm a creature of guilt and if everything that I'm going to do ahead of me is that guilt operationalizing its agenda through my actions and thoughts and that terrifies me. It terrifies me so much because I don't know if um, I could be so much more and I'm not.